HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. On behalf of everybody at HeritageRadioNetwork.com, we'd like to send a special thank you to the Hearst Ranch, our biggest supporter and longest-running sponsor since we first started in 2009. Hearst Ranch is the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. Since 1865, the Hearst family has raised cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of the Central California coast. The result is beef with extraordinary flavor that's as memorable and natural as the surrounding landscape. For more information, visit www.hearstranch.com. Hello there, Greenhorns. This is Severin. It's a beautiful day in Brooklyn, New York, and I'm happy to be joined by my new friend, Peter, who's down. Are you already back home? Actually, I'm on my way down now. I'll you be are? getting down there later on today. Yeah, I am. How y'all doing today, fam? Wow, I'm doing really well, and we have warm, lovely weather. Yeah, it's beautiful out here. Actually, I'm I'm still in Arkansas. You're still and in Arkansas. And it is amazingly beautiful out here. Yeah, yesterday I was in Arkansas, and there was a tornado. It is. Yeah, tor- yeah that was tornado. a couple hours away from where I am now, man. I hope everybody felt out all right with that. I hope so, too. Yeah. So this is a show about young farmers, for young farmers, and not usually do we have spoken word artists slash farmers on the radio show, <laughs> so perhaps you could introduce yourself briefly, since you are an, uh, an anomaly, well, I think you're an anomaly no matter what character, uh, what, no matter what venue. But <laughs> well, I sure appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Well, my name is uh, Peter Mohammed Haroon, actually, and I'm known as Brother P. Everybody in the spoken word world calls me Brother P. Uh, I like to be the brother of people. You know, that's what I've been doing my whole life. When I was born, I was a brother. I grew to be a father. I grew to be a poet. I grew up to be a farmer. But when I was born, I was a brother. And my desire is to just share sincerity with people and keep people optimistic. So I've, uh, over the last maybe 15 or 16 years or so, I've been performing as a professional spoken word artist. And just currently I'm, I'm getting interested in a world of agriculture. Uh, after spending so long with spoken word, I realized that you can only say so much. You can only use your words to empower people to an extent, but then they're going to need to eat. You know? And I think that agriculture has been, for me, it's a natural progression. It's almost like multiplying your talents. I look at a blank, piece, a blank piece of paper and I write something, and out of that comes a, a well of books and recordings and all type of things. So 
now when I look at the earth, it's like a blank piece of paper to me. And I want to incorporate that creativity and put that creative energy back into the earth, not just extract from the earth for the purposes of making money and capitalize off of it, but with the understanding that we have to sustain it and we have to use the earth in a just manner so that when we go back to the earth, those who come after us would benefit from our, our time we spent on this earth. So that's well, me and the nice thing I guess, about, Oh, I'm so sorry. But I was going to say only that the nice thing about farming is you can talk, you know, you can talk while you work. So you don't have to choose. Yes, I, I guess that's a, that's a good point. <laughs> that's a good so, point. So, in what land did you in what land did you land when you first landed, and then what land have you moved to now? Well, I landed in the land <laughs> of uh, actually I'm born and bred in uh, New Orleans, New Orleans, Louisiana, and I uh, spent my formative years there. I uh, was introduced to agriculture as a child on a nursery. The nursery that I went to was run by two black men, and it was called the Survival Center. And one of their main focuses was to introduce us to agriculture as a means of survival and building community. Uh, they provide meals for us from the stuff we grew, all those type of things. So I spent most of my years up until my adult years in New Orleans, and uh, I traveled here and there. I moved around the country a little bit with my performances and all those type of things. But, you know, after... 05, and Katrina kind of did her thing. We ended up here in Arkansas. So I'm currently in Arkansas and within, I guess, in a transition between Arkansas and New Orleans currently. And when we were talking in the, in SOG, you were saying how, you were saying how being in New Orleans and you're kind of moving towards New Orleans or part-time in, in transition, as you say, but that because of so much was washed away, the people who are coming back are bringing a particular kind of a team spirit, and a, uh, they're all there for the game. They're all ready to make things happen. Would you that, explain a little I'm more? Thinking. You had a nice thing about the Superdome. Yeah, I mean, that's what they showed us as a kid, man, that cities like New Orleans and spaces like that, man, the Superdome holds roughly 70,000 or so people, but it didn't use us. I mean, it didn't take but a few hundred, if maybe a thousand or so people to actually construct the Superdome. So once the Superdome was constructed, on any given Sunday, they open the doors, and it's going to fill to capacity up the Saints plane. You know, and what that taught me was that there are more people that's willing to build things, but once it's built, you know, the other people will come and support it and partake in whatever it is that they built. Uh, I think right now the people that chose to go back home, to New Orleans, went back with the understanding that there is not uh, infrastructure in place that's going to sustain our life. So if you're going back there, you have to either be willing to help formulate that plan or help support the plan once it's established. And if the plan is sustainable gardens and you know community gardens and things like that, then I don't expect everybody to be out there with holes breaking, I mean, breaking ground. But I do understand the spirit and the collective spirit of people in New Orleans to support those who have take, taken the initiative to develop those gardens and to create those green spaces. And there's green spaces and there's winds. And there's, <laughs> there's green spaces and there's a lot of art projects and community energy. Will you tell a little bit about the wonderful things that Jenga is doing? Oh, Jenga, yeah, man, she's doing some amazing things over there, and it's actually in one of the hardest-hit areas of the city. 
um, I, I sat in one of her presentations at the, at the conference over this past week at, in Little Rock, and uh, what she mentioned was uh, the fact that prior to Katrina devastating other levee breaches that took place in New Orleans, that particular area, the Ninth Ward, still was a food desert. It still had limited access to healthy eating, even within the school systems, uh, the old folks' homes. I mean, the, it was rough living, but not because the people there weren't willing or even able to provide a better life for themselves. There was an infrastructure in place in that area that displaced those people, and it was it was almost to an extent where uh, gentrification was taking place in the inner city, and the Lord Nine was the outskirts of that of the city, almost like if you were in a city that had a rural part of the town. So what Jingle did was go back into that neighborhood and revitalize the spirit of the people to sustain their own existence. She uh, was able to go in there and start these two gardens that serves as a as a beacon of light and, and a beacon of hope to the people from the area who may be in their 60s, uh, between their 60s and their 80s, who understood how they ate before they had programs that helped you, you know, like food stamps and all those type of things. There were cultures. People did raise their families. People did educate their children without as much governmental assistance. And I respect what she's doing because the difficulty and the challenge in working in a community that hasn't returned. You're working with a few people but you have to inspire those people to do something that the generations after them are going to benefit from. So she has her work cut out for her, and I'm looking forward to going back into the city and actually helping with my gift of reaching the people and reaching the people in the inner city that they seem to, to feel like uh, all they want to do is kill each other and all they want to do is, is uh, destroy life. I have a different take on those people because I grew up with those people, and those people are my family members. And by God's grace, I was able to be exposed to something that made me a more of a benefit to my community than a, than a liability. And Jing is doing the same thing. She's going back with the spirit of renewing and restoring hope and a tradition in our people that was lost through industrialized lifestyles, through working in warehouses and, you know, plantations and those things like that. I, I call it plantations, but for people who work in warehouses, it's that sort of experience. It's that devoid of working with, your, with nature and outside. You're locked in the building for eight hours, 12 hours a day, you know, and, and it's taking you further, further away from the land. So, and what she's doing, I'm a, um, when I touch down in New Orleans fully, man, it's my full intent to help whatever backyard gardens are doing in the Lord Night War. Really impressed with her and that whole collaboration that she's doing with the citizens in, the, in that community. Well, so we'll be able to find you because you'll be taller than anybody. So that's, that's no problem. <laughs> it was actually fun seeing Will Allen, man. Like, wow, I'm not the I'm not the, the only tall guy that like agriculture, man. It's a long way down to the dirt when you stand in six six. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it's also the spirit, and that's something I thought maybe you could, you know, finish up with. Oh, we're not even trying to finish up. We still have time. Okay, good. Yeah, we're um, We're talking about the spirit that's—the um, spirit that happens when you engage with when you engage with growing things, and when you start with something really small, and you and you love on it a little bit, and then it grows so big. Could you like maybe just reflect on what that does? It, it humbles you. 
It humbles you. Once you put the, once you go through all the work and prepare the soil to receive the seed, and once you place the seed in the earth, there's not much we can do to ensure that it'll grow, other than just maintain the natural order of things. And once we do that, we have to sit back in humility and just, and just, I guess, uh, what uh, pray that our water comes. Uh, I mean, even even if we build wells or whatever, we still have to understand that there. Uh, like 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 Will mentioned at the uh, at the con- at the conference that this one little bug could just destroy everything that you've been working on for months. Or this one disease, or this one drought, this one freeze. So it constantly reminds you that we as humans are only here. Well, it reminds me that I'm only here to serve the earth, and I'm only here to treat the earth in a way that it deserves to be treated. And if we do that, then it'll give us a lifestyle back to us that that make me feel like wow. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing on earth. And for me, uh, Severin, like, as an artist, I share my words. You get claps, you get applause, you get money. I mean, you get all kind of little, I don't want to call it little because for some people that's a lot. That's, a, that's, a, that's their motivation behind what they do. But for me, the applause and, and the resources that you gain from performing as an artist, it can't match the gratification I get from planting something and actually seeing that grow. Planting something with a child, and that child learning what it takes to to actually see it, and that's something uh, Jenga said they did, did over at the garden where they worked. That some of the kids were impatient and saw the watermelon, and it looks like it's finished, and it's, it looked like a watermelon. I want to eat it now, and they bust the watermelon open and find that it's not ripe yet. So next time they see that same watermelon, they understand that more patience is required, more care and consideration is to be given to this watermelon so that it can grow stage after stage until it's time to consume it. So for me, in dealing with agriculture, it's, it's, almost, it's almost as vital as any other science to me that this world has ever known because of the peace that it gives you, the, the, the patience that it teaches you, humility that it gives to you. And how are we going to bring more children to that revelation? That's the question. What do you think the way it would be, like, structurally? That, Like, I had this idea once that we could have a... Every school could have a greenhouse, and the children could raise up the little baby plants. And then on the weekends, maybe somebody else can water them. But then in every spring, the children can have a plant sale, and all the mommies and daddies can come and buy the plants and start their gardens at their home. That was one idea I had. Yeah, they, you got I, I mean you got that's any what the crazy FFA, ideas. Yeah, oh, I'm full of crazy ideas, man. But that's what the um, one of the projects with the FFA was for the students that they would, you know, every semester they would be responsible for taking a project home, be it a, a square foot garden or whatever. But you actually receive a grade. You actually, uh, even as far as elementary school all the way through college, I think even in institutions for uh, high learning, so many people are coming from. I guess in the cities, but they don't know nothing about agriculture. So I got into college with the intention of learning about agriculture, but without having applied courses, I, I wasn't able to get into the field until your third semester. So I think giving opportunities for children to actually uh, see all yeah, that, right. yeah, see that, see all that agriculture is. It's so much more than just riding a farm. I think the way that children can be introduced to it, honestly, is for you to ask, to, uh, to just give them the, the thought in schools, in communities, in homes, that they would run commercials 
on television that would be geared to our kids, that they would have the opportunity to grow and compete with growing and to be given the understanding that you don't need to chase money to find security first. You need to create a sustainable lifestyle. So it's going to have to change with a whole, it's going to have to start with a, a new approach to how we view education. Because currently you can, you can go through 12, 13 years of schooling, your formative school years, and graduate not knowing how to feed yourself at all. You know, you, all you can do is know, you know how to make yourself marketable or valuable to an employer. But that is not going to sustain our life. And I think if we, as parents, begin to, especially as blacks, I think it's a difference between the demographics. I think you need to understand it, that culturally speaking, that I know people of color, especially in this region of Arkansas, where I am currently, have a problem and still have a history with agriculture. When you see cotton fields, you don't necessarily see all the opportunities that lie in, a, in what you can do with cotton, that everybody uses cotton in some form, you know, in their home. You can go and you see cotton all over every home. But blacks kind of stray from cotton because of the history that it has with it. So a lot of atoning has to take place with the earth. We have to tell the children that we are of the earth. The earth loves us. That, that, okay, politically speaking, there's things wrong with the world, but the world don't have to end because the earth has turned its back on us. It's the policies that govern what's done with the earth, how is the earth's being divided, and how the food that's being grown is being stored and you know, distributed. Those things are unjust, but the earth itself is a beautiful place. It's no more beautiful of an experience. Like my son, like with the tornadoes when the rain was coming the other day, as hard as it was raining, my five-year-old said, Daddy, it's a good thing that it's raining because our plants need water. He wasn't afraid of the processes of earth. He understands that sometimes it's going to rain hard, sometimes it's not going to rain. You know, he's not afraid of life. He's not afraid of earth. He's not afraid to live. And if we can once again get our children to understand that life is fun, that farming is fun, it's agriculture is fun, it's not associated with slavery, it's not something that people make us do and then take all the work and all the rewards of our labor and use it for their betterment while we continue to suffer. That's not what it is anymore. That it's a sustainable practice that if you don't know how to grow your food, you may very well be hungry in a few days. Teach that to the children unapologetically. Get them to fully understand and grasp that concept that if you want to eat, you can have a job, you can make money, that's cool. But if you want to eat, you need to learn how to grow food. It's not anybody else's responsibility to feed you. I think if we teach them that unapologetically, Severin, I think then we'll see a different generation in the next 10, 15 years as far as who's supposed to feed me. Because even now, with some of the supplemental programs that they have, with the SNAP and the WIC and the you know, food stamps and things like that, what's interesting to me is that education don't come along with that. So if I give mm-hmm. you $400 a month for food stamps, $200 a month food stamps, or whatever it is that you qualify for, if what you do with that food is go buy some of the foolishness that they allow to market in some of the grocery stores, then you're going to be sick. And your sickness is going to become an issue. Now, health care is going to become an issue because, yeah, you gave food stamps, but now you allowed them to buy things that you knew scientifically would have an ill effect on their health. Now, health care rises. Now, now health care cost rises. So now you have a problem with people who couldn't buy food. You think they can afford health care. So now you have all these problems going back and forth People needing help from people. They don't want to ask for help, but how can they get help if they're not getting taught properly? So I think that going back to communities, 
being able to have their own food sources is not as far off an idea as it was before. You know, uh, in New Orleans, it's broken down into communities, man. They, and just like everywhere else in the country, they have pockets of people who have taken it upon themselves to say, okay, we have to control our destiny. What's unfortunate about a lot of our inner cities is that in saying that, we're still speaking politically. We're still speaking for opportunities to be uh, placed and treated with the same kind of respect that other people are getting. It's so far from food production that it's ridiculous. If you ask the average person in the black community or in the in, uh, in, in the inner city community, and I speak from that because I feel that that voice is not uh, magnified enough. You know, so I'm not speaking and saying that's the only people that need help. I'm just an advocate of that particular part of the community. So I'm saying people in the inner city, if you ask them what is it that we need to heal some of the problems of the city, of the inner city, some of the some of the uh, violence that's taking place, some of the destructive behavior that's taking place, some of the abuse, some of the diseases. They'll give you a list of opportunities where they need to be able to learn this and go this and, and, and do this and be exposed to that. And it'll be, I'll be interested if you ask 100 people how many of those people would say agriculture would be the number one thing we need to address. And for me, it's kind of interesting because who you are and how you think has so much to do with what you eat. That if you, yeah. could, you could begin to break that foundation and have a person understand that, you can build from there. If you give a person food, you can have a conversation after that. In New Orleans, no matter who you go visit, you're going to eat. And I think it hurts because the children think soul food, a food for their soul, is food that they forced upon us ever since we were enslaved. And that was the only thing we had to eat. Now we choose to do that. So now the government gives... Uh, money, you know, food stamps and programs like that, and we go buy things thinking that's our food for our soul, and what it's doing is actually continuing with things like diabetes and, you know, uh, even attention, you know, deficit disorders and things like that could be traced back to some of the, you know, the the, the intake of the sugar and all that kind of stuff that they're given as, as, as on, you know, on shelves. Like, like, this is legal to sell this stuff, even though you know what it's going to do to people. It's legal to sell this. So, for me, I think informing and educating the children and letting them know that it's okay. It's not a revolutionary idea. You're not, a, you're not banging against the system if you want to feed yourself, man. It's actually the first law of nature, self-preservation. And I want to take the, the rebel part out of wanting to be involved in sustainable gardening. You know what I mean, Severin? I don't want it to seem like you've got to be this this anti-everything in order to be a vegetarian. No, man, you, you, you know, I'm, I'm not against anybody. I'm just for life. I'm not against, uh, I, I don't fight because I hate people, you know. I, I fight and I do what I do because I love people. I love life. You know? Well, and this is the thing that I'm also starting to understand is when, when it's so clearly wrong, you know, and cotton fields are part of that, too, and you go across the landscape and you just see everything flat, 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 and people have their little garden tucked up next to their house and maybe a little bit of a hedge between the big big fields and the, and the home garden. You know, when it's so clearly wrong, then it's easy to, it's easy to start thinking about it a different way. And I, and I have a feeling that there's, since there's so many people feeling that feeling, 
that the examples, the powerful examples that are emerging in communities across the country, like they almost have more appeal now than they ever have. What I want to know is how do we spread the word better about what's already going on so that people hear about it and and the word spreads. And also, I met a young man named DJ at the, in Arkansas, and he said he really wanted to go work on a farm, but his agriculture teacher didn't know any that he could go work on. And I thought, here he is getting a degree in agriculture at the university. You know, someone should be able to help him, point him along in the, in the right direction. I was, I wanted to figure out how do, how do we get it better? How do we get the word out better? Maybe that's something that you're working on. Yeah, it is. It is. If, if you can associate, uh, I guess, success with agriculture again. Because think about I don't know what I don't know exactly where you grew up, but we grew up in the South, and nobody wanted to farm. Like, no, no, everybody thought farming was this hard life. Like it was, you know, you just see dust balls flying, and all the ground, the ground been depleted of all the all the vitamins and nutrients and everything, and you just see these people walking around with clothes with holes in it and suffering, and they're hungry, and you know, nobody was successful at farming. We have to change the face of farming. It went from being individuals to being corporations. And once it became corporations, the individuals turned their back on it. I think there's a lot of things taking place, and what's going to happen to first is that we're going to have to, we're going to have to let them know. Oh, excuse me, my phone's speaking. We're going to just have to let the kids know that, 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 they, um, that we need scientific minds in agriculture again, that agriculture is in need of our most profound thinkers, you know, our uh, our 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 n- nicest people, you know, our our quote unquote um, our scholars, our valedictorians, they need to be geared toward agriculture now. You know, they don't need to be geared to all these other sciences at the exclusion of agriculture. Saying that agriculture is for people who don't fit into the mainstream of things. This is mainstream, you know, and. It's the foundation of mainstream. I I can do it. Like me as an artist, I have the ability to speak to people through poems about agriculture. And if I do that, then they're going to respond differently to agriculture because somebody they respect is telling them something. It's not not like, man, this dude trying to get me back in the field. But I'm trying to get into a college. I'm trying to get into a university setting so I can get a collar and a tie and go to work. I'm not trying to sweat at work anymore. So you really have to trust the person that's coming to you telling you, hey, man, that store is not the best option for getting your food. So if we continue to speak to the universities and the universities have a problem with conveying all the knowledge that they have with the people in the city, then we're going to have this problem. But if you have a link between the university and the city, a link between the government and, and, the, and the projects, you know what I'm saying? If you have somebody who, who you can respect that's talking to you, you have to find that voice in each community. We need some good people them. there. We need philosophers. We need poets. We need fit, we need economists. We need entrepreneurs. We need a lot of people. We're going to get a lot more people, right? We're going to get a lot You're more gonna people. You're going to get some more people, and I'm going to get some more people. Then maybe we can hang out some more. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's right, and we will do it. I mean, we will do it. Not Is there anything we, we, have to, to, we have to remind the people? How do they find you, those who are listening? How do they find you and listen to your words? And what should they do if they're in New Orleans? How do they get involved? If they're in New Orleans and want to get involved, contact either Backyard Garden Network 
Uh, contact New Orleans Food and Farm Association. I think I might have lost him, you guys. You want to call there? me back with the next guest? Are you there? Okay. Bye-bye.